Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Brockport First Baptist. My name is Tiffany, and I will be the lay reader for today. Um, to begin our service, I'd like to invite all who are able to please stand and greet those around you. Thank you. 
Good morning. You may be seated. How are you guys all today? It's so nice to see you. If you are new with us, if you could pull out the welcome card and fill that out and drop it in the offering plate, that would be great. They should be found along the pews. Um, Today is a big day here. Gathering table, teen closet is open. And if you are looking to stick around and share a meal with us, there is a sermon talk back happening in between service and the meal. And please join us for Christmas Eve service. It's going to be at 4 p.m. next Sunday. Uh, It's a very unique service, different than we've done in the past. So please come on out and invite your friends. And make sure you are reading your bulletin. There's lots of good stuff coming in, including a new members class happening on January 28th. So get that in your calendar if you are new with us. And with that, I would like to invite Norm and Shar right up. On this third Sunday of Advent, we light a candle for Ruth. We remember the love of Ruth, the romantic love she showed to Boaz, the devotion she demonstrated to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her love for a God she did not fully understand. Ruth said to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and the God and your God shall be my God. Loving God, fill our hearts with your love this Advent season. Help us to love you, trust you, and follow you by sharing your love with others. Some say love, it is a river that rounds the tender reed. 
Some say love, it is a razor that leaves your soul to bleed. Some say love, it is a hunger and a I say love, it is a flower, and you, it's only seed. It's the heart of rain breaking that never learns to dance. It's the dream of rain of waking that never takes the chance. It's the one who won't be taken, who cannot seem to give. And the soul of rain of dying that never learns to When the night has been too lonely and the road has been too long, and you think that love is only and the strong just remember in the winter far beneath the bitter snow Lies the seed that with the sun's love in the spring becomes a
please join us if you're able sing our praise song the earth cries out nothing feels right the world cries out no justice inside fires burning everywhere too many too hot too bright we are waiting for you we are waiting for you we are waiting for that Gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. The child cries out, don't turn out the light. Broken hearts cry out, no end of hurt in sight. Greed and guns rule everywhere. Too many, too strong to fight. We are waiting for you. We are waiting for you. We are waiting for that Gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Let us be a sign of hope. Let us be your arms of love. Let us be the ones that say there is another way. Let us be a sign of hope. Let us be your arms of love. Let us be the ones that say there is another way. Let us be a sign of hope. Let us be your arms of love. Let us be the ones that say there is another way. We are waiting for you. You are waiting for us too. We are waiting for that Gloria. In excelsis Deo, Gloria, in excelsis Deo, oh, Gloria, in excelsis Deo, Gloria, in excelsis Deo, we are waiting for you. You are waiting for us too. We are waiting.
for you. You are waiting for us too. Thank you, Lucas and Raya and choir. You all may be seated. So good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Dan. It is a joy to be with you today. Um, before I dismiss the kids, um, I need to give an important announcement to the parents, a little disclaimer for our sermon today. Uh, the message that's coming later in this service deals with some adult themes, and I know there are some parents here that will occasionally keep the little ones with them in church. You might not want to do that today uh, unless you're up for a very awkward conversation on the drive home. So uh, with that being said, uh, I'd like to dismiss the elementary kids for Children's Church Upstairs. Have a blast, you guys. And we are going to transition into prayer requests. Uh, I want to invite, if anyone has a prayer request you'd like to share with the congregation, we've got two microphones up here at the front um, that I'd love to have you come down and use. I want to mention, too, it's been a super quiet week on the prayer chain this week. Um, that or I'm not getting the emails. Uh, but just so that everybody knows, uh, we have a prayer chain, an email prayer chain here at church. As you have needs, as uh, friends and family members, people you know could use prayer, uh, send those prayer requests either to myself, to Pastor Elisha, or to the church office via email. And we have a whole team of people that prays for those, just so everyone knows that's available. Uh, Tiffany, go for it. So I am a member of the ACLU, which <clears throat> if you guys don't know what that is, it's the American Civil Liberties Union. Um, I had a webinar on Wednesday with the, with the members of the New York Civil Liberties Union. And so what we want to do is put an equal rights amendment in the ballot for next year and hopefully um, have it transferred to the Constitution so that um, we have a better understanding of, uh, you know, equal rights for all and, not, you know, not just certain demographics, but yeah. for everybody. Awesome. Thank you, Tiffany. We'll be praying that that's successful. Zach. <clears throat> I just want prayers for my brother as, well, my other brother as he went into the hospital um, during this semester, uh, this past semester, actually. Um, his kidneys aren't doing too good, and uh, just wanted to ask for prayers for that. And also prayers for my mother, as it is nearing the one-year anniversary that we lost Sean. So just be with my family for that. And then also uh, be with my advisors and teachers as they come to understand that I didn't do too good this past semester as family issues have went on. So just be with me and my family. Absolutely. Peggy. Hi. Um, we would like prayers for our nephew, Bentley. He's had two surgeries for a thyroglossal cyst. Um, he's five. And the first two surgeries, they didn't get all of it, so it grew back. And this is the third one, and it has grown to about the size of a golf ball in about a week and a half. Um, so they're giving him a week of antibiotics, and they're going to go in and do a third surgery. And hopefully with all of our prayers, they'll get everything out this time, and he won't have to deal with it again. But they have driven to Cincinnati for a surgery. He'll have it the first week of January. So prayers that they get everything, and this little guy can go about living his life normal. Absolutely. Okay. <clears throat> we'll keep Bentley in prayer. Any other prayer requests, praises? 
hurt. Um, I, I'd like prayers for our friends, John and Janet. John's uh, stepdad, Dave, uh, is going into hospice this week. It's never a good time, but the week before Christmas. Yeah. And uh, Eloise, please, who's uh, the, John's mother. Okay, Thank definitely. You. Anything else we can be praying about? All right, I'll, uh, we'll start with a few moments of silence so we can pray on our own. Um, oh, wait, sorry, I do have a list. I have a list. Um, I just want to keep in prayer everyone who's dealing with sickness right now, um, health concerns. Uh, Betty Bemis, I know she's doing a lot better, but she's not going to get discharged from rehab before, um, before Christmas, so we want to keep Gordon and Betty in prayer, but Betty's looking great. Diane Smith, Christy Fessler, Lynette Cox, Helen Masser, uh, Lori Way, still wrestling with pneumonia, and I know Joni Martin is still getting over being sick. There's more, but um, I just want to keep all these folks in our prayers. But let's pray on our own, and then I'll lead us in prayer together. God of wonders, you led shepherds and wise men by the light of a star. Light a way forward for us, Lord, when we feel lost and alone. We are bombarded with news of war and death, intensifying violence in Gaza, the ongoing war in Ukraine, the displacement of millions of people in Congo, missile strikes and bombings and terror. God, lead us through this destruction. As Hanukkah comes to an end, the Jewish festival of lights, and as we Christians continue to celebrate Advent with the coming of Jesus as the light of the world, we ask that you teach us to recognize the divine light within all human beings, Lord. Help us to see that light within our neighbors, our friends, ourselves, and especially our enemies, God. Show us new ways to nourish that light rather than snuffing it out. Empower the work of peacemakers and those who are working for justice and equal rights. Bring an end to all violence and bloodshed, the chaos that we human beings have sown into your good creation. And God, establish your kingdom of peace on earth as it is in heaven. Here are our prayers for all the needs we've lifted up today, Lord. We pray for Tiffany and for the folks uh, working to pass the Equal Rights Amendment. We lift up Zach and his family. Pray for his brother 
for his mom, for his advisors and teachers. We pray for Bentley. We pray for Dave and his family, for Eloise, for John and Janet. We lift up Betty and Gordon, Diane, Christy, Lynette. Pray for Helen, Lori, Joni, and for all the needs that remain unspoken. Heal the sick, Lord. Bring joy to the brokenhearted and shepherd us in your way of peace. We ask for all these things in the powerful name of Jesus because it was he who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, time in our service when we respond to God's grace with the giving of our tithes and offerings. In just a moment, the ushers will be passing the plates. If you brought a physical offering with you, with you today, please drop it in there. If you prefer to give online, you can do so on our website. Let's pray to bless the offering. Help us to be generous givers, dear Lord, both of our money and our lives that we might make a difference here in Brockport. We ask this through your son, who gave all that his was, so that we might know life. Amen.
Our scripture today is Ruth chapter 3. It can be found on pages 211 to 212 of your pew Bibles. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman, Boaz, with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the men until he has finished eating and drinking. When he has laid down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. When Boaz had eaten and drank, drunk, and was contented in a contented mood, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and there, lying at his feet, was a woman. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. The last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether you are you or rich, poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask for all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. But now, though it is true that I am a near kinsman, there is another kinsman more closely related than I. Remain this night and in the morning, if he will act as next of kin for you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to act as next of kin for you, then as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin for you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before one person could recognize another. For he said, it must not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Then he said, bring the cloak you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her back. Then he went into the town. She came to her mother-in-law 
Ruth said, how did things go with you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, he gave me these six measures of barley, for he said, do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. She replied, well, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The word of God for the people of God. And thank you, Tiffany, for that reading. Do you need an arm? So this is going to be a fun one, guys. I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a good weird sermon, you know? Um, sometimes, sometimes here at this church we go deep. Um, other times we go for the heartstrings, and uh, sometimes we just get into some really weird, provocative stuff because the Bible goes there, and so we need to go there too. Uh, I do want to reiterate for anyone who maybe missed the earlier disclaimer or uh, if you're maybe streaming this online or listening to the sermon audio later, um, we're going to get into some adult territory today. Nothing too gratuitous, honestly, um, the kind of stuff you'd hear in like a middle school health class. Or, or maybe a playground. Um, so, so nothing too crazy. Um, but if there's little ears listening to this, you might want to have them leave the room for this one. With that out of the way, <clears throat> something you need to know about me is that I love a good sermon title. In fact, I spend way too much time thinking about sermon titles. Sometimes I have the title of a sermon figured out before I even write the sermon itself. And for this one, we actually have two titles, you guys. Um, it's sort of a Dr. Strangelove situation. Do you guys know Dr. Strangelove, 1964 Stanley Kubrick film? I figured that's a good year for, for many of us. Um, but Dr. Strangelove is a movie with two titles. It's called Dr. Strangelove, that's, that's the title most of us know it as, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Great movie, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Uh, that's my, my Christmas recommendation to you. Um, <clears throat> Similar to Dr. Strangelove, though, we've got two titles for this sermon. What happened on the threshing room floor? Or, Pastor Dan ruins the book of Ruth. <laughs> because <clears throat> we've, we've had a really good run through the book of Ruth these last few weeks, but um, this one might shift your perspective a little bit. I think that's a good thing. Um, now, if you're a sick freak like me, um, you're going to love this. You, you will actually come away from this message with a new level of respect and appreciation for the book of Ruth. Um, but for the rest of you normies out there, uh, we're going to get into some scandalous stuff. This story is provocative, and it largely has to do with what transpires between Ruth and Boaz on the threshing room floor. This is the section in Ruth, if you're like reading through it, where it gets a little confusing for us. Because admittedly, we are separated from this book by centuries, millennia really, of cultural norms, context, language, you name it. There's this whole next of kin thing that comes in toward the end of the chapter, which is like super confusing and over our heads. We're not even going to get into that today. We're going to save that for next Sunday. Um, but the whole chapter is loaded with double entendres and innuendos, stuff that we completely miss reading it in English 3,000 years later. At the beginning of this chapter, Naomi is like, okay, Ruth, here's what you do. Change out of your, woman, your, your widow's clothes, these sad clothes of mourning that you're in, 
uh, and, and wash yourself. Take your one bath for the year, right? Because this is, this is a long time ago. There's no running water. Then you're going to put on some nice clothes, anoint yourself with oil, and go over to the threshing floor where Boaz and the other men are harvesting barley. After he's done working, he's going to be real tired. He's going to have some food. He's going to have a little something to drink. And once he is passed out on the threshing room floor, you go lay down next to him and uncover his feet. I think something got lost in the translation there, right? Like, like I'm, I'm confused reading this. Um, some context just to help us out. Farming was back-breaking labor back then, um, even worse than today because they didn't have all the machines and the modern tools that we have to make the job a little bit more manageable. And harvesting was the worst part of the process. These guys would work from morning to evening, thrashing the grain, cutting it up, beating it, separating out all the, the barley from the chaff. It was strenuous, painstaking, labor-intensive work. Because it was so difficult, it was customary back then for employers to provide alcohol to their workers after a long day on the threshing floor, a, a, little, a little reward to look forward to. It was also customary uh, at some farms for employers to provide women for their workers who offered a certain service, if you, if you can follow where we're going with that. People are nodding, which is good. Now, <clears throat> there's no indication of that last part anywhere in the text. And from what we learned about Boaz last week, he doesn't seem like that kind of guy. He's a good guy. But it's important to know that the threshing room floor had a certain connotation back in the day. It was a party zone. It was not a place where well-behaved women, quote-unquote, would have been found late at night. So that's a little context you need to know. Couple all that with the fact that Ruth is a Moabite. And we've talked about this uh, a lot the last couple weeks, how Israel and Moab were hated enemies back then. But when we actually look at some of the stories in the Bible about conflicts between Israel and Moab, there's almost always again, quote-unquote, immoral women involved. So Moabite women have this reputation in ancient Israelite society, and this text reminds us over and over that Ruth is a Moabite. So what is a Moabite woman doing on the threshing room floor in the middle of the night with Boaz? There's some language you need to know here, too. The key phrase is that she uncovers his feet. And the thing to know about the language here is that in ancient Hebrew, the word feet could also be a euphemism for genitals, your privates, the, the nether realm down there. That is your feet, right? The, the ancient Israelites used the word feet kind of like we use the word privates right? Like, like with my own kids, it's like we talk about privates. That's your area. If the book of Ruth had been written today and Ruth had uncovered Boaz's privates and someone reads that 3,000 years from now, they're going to be very confused. Like it'll be like, why are there low-ranking low soldiers here all of a sudden? Like it would be completely over their head. But in Hebrew, feet can mean genitals. It can also mean feet, but it can also mean genitals. I remember learning this in my Hebrew class back in seminary uh, when we were translating the book of Ruth, and it changes th the vibe here a little bit. Uh, in fact, 
A lot of Old Testament stories read a little bit differently with this kind of linguistic information. And of course, I'm going to give you some examples. Um, Let's talk about the prophet Isaiah. How many of us are familiar with Isaiah, the prophet? Big big deal prophet in the Old Testament. Go to the next uh, slide, please, Micah. Perfect. In Isaiah 6, we read about the call of Isaiah. The prophet has this vision of the heavenly throne room where there are seraphim, these big, terrifying angels flying around God's throne. Each one of them has three pairs of wings. With one pair of wings, they fly. With another pair, they cover their face so that they don't look upon the glory of God. And with the third pair, they cover their feet. Not their feet, guys. They're, no, this, this is about modesty. Are we, are we following along? They're, they're going like this. That's what they're doing with the third pair of wings, okay? Are we tracking or are we just like completely like flabbergasted by this? We're okay. We're okay. It's gonna, it'll get better um, after it gets worse. <clears throat> Another example, though, comes from 1 Kings 22, and it's the story of King Rehoboam. Rehoboam, one of the lesser-known kings in Israel, he wasn't a great king. A civil war breaks out under his reign, and the leaders of the rebel tribes come to Rehoboam to try to make peace, to try to strike some kind of agreement. And they're like, we want to work with you, but we're scared because your father, when he was king, was very harsh to us. Does anyone know this story? Not many. Perfect. Because Rehoboam's response is, you thought my dad was bad. My little finger is thicker than my father's foot. (laughs) Yeah, not feet. Um, (laughs) I, I I can remember distinctly in high school, reading this story for the first time and thinking, like, that's a weird thing to brag about. My finger is thicker than my dad's foot. Like, what? Yeah, not foot. This is one where it's really funny to see how different Bible translations have handled this one. Um, The Common English Bible, CEB, it reads, my baby finger is thicker than my father's waist, which is a little bit closer. Like, we're we're in the right area, right? But shout out to King James, the OG, which translates this line, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. Yes. You have to have the accent for King James. It's the only way it works. I think this is amazing, right? But it changes things. It shifts stuff a little bit. Now, I, I do want to clarify, though. I need to say, this idiom only works in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew thing. Hebrew is the language of the Old Testament. The stories we have about Jesus and the disciples, those are in the New Testament. That's Greek, very different language. So in the New Testament, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, that's feet. (laughs) There's nothing funny happening in the Greek there, okay? I need to to clarify that because I know how your minds work. But in Hebrew, feet can mean genitals. So to recap, Ruth cleans herself up puts on a nice dress, sneaks onto the threshing floor where Boaz is passed out after a long day of work, and she uncovers his feet. Probably not feet. We don't actually know what happened, what transpired exactly between Ruth and Boaz that the text doesn't tell us. Um, he's very excited about it, right? He's like, what, what a wonderful thing you've done for an old man like me. May you be blessed by the Lord. He, he also says, uh, who are you, which is never a good uh, way to lead in. Um, but he, 
We don't really know what transpired, and there's a reason for that. Propriety mattered back then. This was an honor-shame culture. You don't broadcast all the details about this stuff. This is also King David's grandma we're writing about. Spoiler alert. And there's certain things you don't put in writing about the king's grandmother. Some scholars have theorized that this was some ancient form of like a, a marriage proposal, uncovering the feet, in which case feet really could be feet. And if that helps at all, if that kind of preserves your picture of the book of Ruth, more power to you, and that might even be right. But it's also possible, and I would argue likely, that something else went down here. Something transpired, and at the very least, Ruth is presenting herself to Boaz in a very vulnerable and a very sensual way. And the double entendres don't stop with feet, by the way. We've got to go a little deeper. After whatever happens, uh, happens in the morning, Boaz sneaks Ruth out of there uh, with some barley in her cloak. That's how our Bible translates it. More literally, though, the text says that he put his seed in her apron, at which point I think the narrator is just messing with us, right? Like, that's, that is, that's what's transpiring here. And if, and if you think I'm exaggerating, if you don't believe me, in the next chapter, these two have a baby, so I will leave that kind of to your imagination. But let's talk about how to apply this. Now that you know, reading between the lines, what's going on here, let's talk about what we do with a story like this in the middle of our Bibles. Because even though this isn't instructional, this, this is not a section of like, do this, don't do that, I really believe that there are lessons we can learn from every story in the Bible. Every story in the Bible has something to, take us, to teach us, takeaways that we can pull from it. So let's go through these lessons. <clears throat> and the first lesson, lesson one, as Christians, as, as people of the Bible, we should be the last people to ever judge someone who uses their body to survive in a way we might find scandalous. That's a mouthful, so I'm going to read it again. Christians should be the last people to judge someone who uses their body to survive in a way we might find scandalous. If you think about the sins that church people tend to dwell on, it's this stuff, right? The sex stuff. People who sleep with the wrong people. Uh, someone who lives with a person they're not married to. Sex workers, hookup culture. People who jump from one romantic relationship to another. These are the sins that church folks tend to dwell on all the time. And I've said it before in here, I will say it again. Sexual ethics matters. What we do with our bodies matters because sex puts us in an incredibly vulnerable position. Uh, it can open us to tremendous harm. God cares about sex because God cares about us and our well-being. That, that's all true. But as much as sex ethics matters, when we judge another person's sex life, more often than not, we are judging desperate people who are doing what they believe they have to do to survive. They're trying to get by. I think of friends of mine, family members, who jump from one bad relationship to the next one, right? Like, it is so easy to pass judgment. What are you doing? This person doesn't care about you. They're just like the last one. Why do you keep making all these bad decisions? But in almost all these cases, 
These are desperate people doing their best to survive. I had a student when I taught at Fuller Seminary who was a pastor at Triple X Church in Las Vegas. Triple X Church is a real church in Vegas that specializes in outreach to sex workers and people in the porn industry. Um, And this student of mine told me that every single person she knew in those industries had some sort of terrible trauma in their background. Every single one. Because no little kid grows up wanting to work in those industries. That doesn't happen. These people don't need our judgment or our condemnation. They need our love and our support. What if instead of all the judgmental, hypocritical stuff, what if Christians were known for being loving, kind, and for advocating for the rights of sex workers? Making sure they're protected, making sure they're respected. That would be amazing. It would be a very different church, and it would be incredibly honoring to our spiritual ancestor, Ruth. Ruth was not a sex worker. Although as a Moabite, that's about where she ranked in Israelite society. But Ruth is a desperate woman who does what she needs to to survive. She has nothing. She has no wealth, no income, no family, no prospects. So she uses the one resource she has, her body, in a desperate effort to live. Who are we to judge her for that? We can't. And we should never judge anyone who is in that situation. That's our first lesson. Lesson two, the heroes of our faith are a mess. God used them, and God can use us too. If you actually try reading the Bible, uh, it doesn't take long to realize that these people are a mess. I'd say by like page three, it's pretty clear that these people are a mess. Um, Abraham is a mess. Moses was a mess. David, total mess. Uh, St. Peter, the rock on which Jesus built his church, was a mess. Peter is a coward and a liar who denies Jesus three times, and Jesus still uses him. It doesn't stop Jesus from doing something amazing through Peter. Ruth is a bit of a mess. Boaz, messy. That didn't stop God from using them in an amazing way. These are the heroes of our faith, right? The spiritual giants, we grow up looking up to these people. We put them on these pedestals and imagine that these heroes of the Bible were perfect people, people that we could never live up to. I could never be a Boaz. I could never be like Ruth. But Boaz and Ruth were a mess, just like us. And they're remembered as spiritual giants because God used them in amazing ways. We don't get Jesus if Ruth doesn't uncover Boaz's feet on the threshing room floor. I want you to realize that because these are also Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, too. God can use you. God can do amazing stuff through you. I know God is doing amazing stuff through you. You don't have to be perfect. You can be a mess. Our faith is not about perfection. It's about holiness, and holy does not mean perfect. Holy means set apart. It means 
that you are allowing God to work in you, to use you, and to transform you as you draw closer to God. That's what it is to be holy. You can be a mess. The heroes of our faith are a mess, just like us. God used them, and God can use us too. Lesson three, and this is the last one I want to tease out today. It's going to be a fun sermon talk back, by the way. Uh, Lesson three, God can use anything to advance God's work in the world, and I want to emphasize the word anything. What Ruth does in this chapter is bold. Um, It's gutsy, but it's also a humongous risk. Um, This is not a particularly smart move. It's not a situation I would want to see anybody in who I care about. Ruth puts herself in an incredibly unsafe position. We learned last week, Boaz is a righteous man, a holy man, a respected man, a man with tremendous power, and Ruth puts herself in an incredibly compromised position. She could be rejected, exploited, abused. Boaz could have her stoned, potentially. If someone else sees this Moabite woman on the threshing room floor, they could expose her to all sorts of terrible stuff. This is not a good situation, but by God's grace, Ruth survives. That's a miracle. God uses this unsafe situation to advance God's work in the world. That's another miracle because it reminds us that God can use anything. This reminds me of that verse from Romans chapter 8. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love God. How many of us have heard this one? Yeah. I can't stand this verse personally because it's like the most cliche, bumper stickery thing. But often this is a verse that people will use out of context and kind of twist to dismiss like really bad stuff. Like it's not, it's not so bad, right? God can use all things for good. But that's not what this verse is about. This is not saying that all things are good. It's saying God can use all things for good. That's a big difference. Some stuff is bad. Some situations are downright terrible. But the amazing thing is, the thing we can draw hope from is that God can use anything to bring about good. God can redeem all of it. The next time you're in a bad situation, whether you're facing tragedy or sickness, chaos, disappointment, look for the grace in that situation. No matter how bad it is, and it can get really, really bad, look for where God is at work in the mess. Where is God showing up? How am I growing, changing, being challenged through this? What am I learning? Where do I see God at work in the midst of all this chaos around me? That is grace. God used the situation of a desperate woman on the threshing floor to bring about one of the greatest kings in Israel's history, King David. And God uses that family. God uses David's line in all their brokenness, all their messiness, fingers of various widths. God uses all of that to bring Jesus into the world to save us. That's the grace of this story. That's what I hope you remember this Advent. That is what's happening 
on the threshing room floor. Let's pray. God, we invite you into our messiness. We invite you to redeem the darkest parts of our stories, the stuff that we would not want written down for all to see. Help us to draw inspiration from these flawed but holy and incredibly human uh, figures in our Bibles. And give us pause, Lord, before we pass judgment on anyone in these situations. We ask for all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to please stand for our sending hymn, number 138, Savior of the Nations, come.
We have so much good stuff happening after church today. Sermon Talkback is going to start in about 10 minutes right here in the sanctuary. Teen Closet is open down in the basement, and of course we have the gathering table at noon. Hang out for this stuff, but before you do that or head out, uh, please receive this blessing. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen.